Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Right Take. I'm Eric Lindrum. I'm Jacob Grandstaff. And we are at episode number 25, guys, the silver episode. This is a big milestone for our show already. We've been going strong for over five months now. And what better way to commemorate this special episode than with another milestone within a milestone within a milestone. We have with us today a very special surprise for you guys. Our very first ever guest on The Right Take. This guy is an absolute legend. He is doing some great work. If you haven't heard of him already, you should definitely follow him. He's got a great website, a great media organization that proves that investigative journalism is not dead just yet. It may be on the verge of going extinct, but there's a few still around, and this is one of them. You might as well, a term I've heard thrown around every now and then, I think is a great term to describe this guy and his team. They're guerrilla journalists. They are doing the Lord's work with doing what the media used to do and claims to still do, though they don't anymore. The one and only founder and editor-in-chief of The National File, Tom Pappert, welcome to The Right Take. Happy to be here, Eric. Uh, it's a very, very flattering open, and I, I never thought of being a guerrilla journalist. I'm trying to decide if that's guerrilla, like what Joe Rogan is, uh, is obsessed with, or guerrilla. And I think we could be either, because we definitely do fly under the radar, but then when we hop above the radar, we do like to uh, uh, tear people apart politically. <laughs> As you should, as you should, because the people you go after deserve it. You don't just go after crazy leftists, of course. You also go after rhinos, fake conservatives in the media, in electoral politics. You guys have literally influenced Senate elections. You guys may have actually even been the ones, technically speaking, who saved the United States Senate in 2020. And we'll come to that in a bit. You guys should definitely follow their website, nationalfile.com, nationalfile.com. Follow them on all social media. Uh, so first off, we can start with the big question, of course, you know, tell us about yourself and tell us how National File got started. That's a very loaded question. So I am um, back six years ago now, and it's hard to believe we're all getting so old. Those of us who came kind of came into conservative politics with President Donald Trump. But uh, back uh, about six years ago, I started uh really getting back into politics after being skeeved out by the Mitt Romneys. I couldn't stand what happened to Ron Paul back in 2012. Then 2015-16 comes around and it's like, all right, we've got this bombastic billionaire guy. He sells real estate. That's kind of cool. Oh, he went, He just said Ted Cruz's dad killed JFK. Okay, <laughs> let's see what this guy's talking about. And so I kind of worked uh, uh, underground. I ran uh, anonymous, fairly anonymous meme pages and stuff like that. And as time went on, I realized that if there wasn't a face to the name and there wasn't a name with the brand, it made it a whole lot easier for the big tech oligarchs to unperson you and make it like you never existed at all. So I'd always had an interest in journalism. I always had an interest in telling the story that isn't being told and exposing the bad actors, as you said, in the Republican Party, not just the Democrat Party. And so ultimately that led to the creation of National File almost two years ago. It'll be two years in August. And we've got a phenomenal team. Of course, myself, we have Patrick Howley, who is a veteran journalist. He's exposed so many stories, I can't even list them all. We've got some more Breitbart alums. In addition to Patrick, we've got Jack Hadfield. Just a ragtag band of journalists. We like to think that we are the uh, some of the last real remaining journalists. And as you said, Eric, what we really enjoy doing is stuff like what happened to Cal Cunningham, where we obtained his potentially Ill illegal text messages where he's having the affair uh, with a, a married woman. Uh, uh, 
woman. And in addition to that, again, not just Democrats, about a month or so ago now, two months, I guess, we exposed John Merrill, who is getting ready to jump in to the Alabama Senate race for U.S. Senate. Of course, Mo Brooks is the favorite, I believe, just endorsed by President Trump. And uh, John Merrill, Secretary of State of Alabama, had an affair that was quite sordid. Uh, some details that I'll spare your viewers because it's uh, quite graphic. So like I said, both sides of the aisle, nobody is safe. If you do not love America, uh, you may soon find yourself in the target of national file politically speaking yeah i gotta say i was kind of disappointed to find that out about john merrill he actually spoke to the college republicans when i was in college at my university the university of north alabama this was when he was first running for secretary of state i, I always thought he was kind of an upstanding guy but uh, i guess uh you know you never know you never know with politicians and that is why as you pointed out again with the senate election in north carolina that was a swing state that was a it was obviously a state that president trump ultimately won but cal cunningham prior to the scandal was a young you know good looking guy he was a, a he had served in the military and tom tillis was aging you know career politician had it not been for that that scandal undoubtedly is what saved that race and had it not been for you guys breaking that story that seat could have gone blue, and instead of the 50-50 tie that hangs in the balance thanks to Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema, we would have had an outright 51-dem majority, which would have been even worse. So you guys, we salute you and thank you for your service, Tom, and National File. Well, thank you so much. And of course, now, I mean, it's so frustrating because you have Tom Tillis, who is by far one of the worst senators, uh, but we saved him. We did it for the good of America. And now we've got this guy who is totally, and the reason, let me just get this out there, why it was so close is because Tom Tillis is a terrible establishment Republican. And frankly, if it hadn't been the fact, like you said, that we exposed this, this ridiculous, comically bad affair that he was in the middle of, you're right, we would have a Democrat in there. Maybe Tom Tillis should uh, uh, do what all politicians do and take a read of the temperature in the room and start cozying up to President Trump and America First politics again. But again, thanks to the iron-fisted yet somehow weak-spined uh, Mitch McConnell, at least we're going to keep some of the worst Democrat policies that they're dreaming up right now from getting to o uh, o Biden's desk, whatever we call this guy, in which case somebody will hold his hand for him and help him sign his signature. So I'm glad that we could prevent that. And thanks for uh, thanks for the acknowledgement. No calls from the Tillis camp still. It's only uh, June of the next year. No <laughs> calls from Tillis. But that's okay. Not that I hold a grudge. But th this it actually was extremely effective because I remember at the time when I had still had a Twitter account, I was looking at the replies under Cal Cunningham's um, under his Twitter whenever he was talking about his affair, trying to give a give a weak a weak ass apology, and people were commenting, especially a lot of middle aged women were saying, "I've donated to your campaign, I've knocked doors for your campaign, and this is how you repay us. You're you're a degenerate." Like they were just like they're like, "We're not voting. Like I'm not voting." So this actually did flip votes from at least according to Twitter from Cal Cunningham. So that it, it is effective because there are a lot of Democrats who are moral upstanding people. They just, they're ignorant on the issues and they, you know, especially in the South and they uh, were talking about not that they're ignorant on the issues just because in the South, but I mean, there's a lot of moral Democrats in the South who don't agree with adultery. And when something like this comes out, it really does, it really can flip them to vote Republican or just stay home. Well, and you know, Cal wrapped himself in the flag. He did everything he could do to try to position himself as a sane Democrat. And mm -hmm. it was all very carefully sculpted, only to be ruined by something as horrible as an affair. I mean, the, the thing about this affair that really made us run with the story, we would have done it pretty much no matter what, but 
The woman he was having an affair with is the wife of a U.S. Army veteran. He found out about the affair, we later learned, and he became so distraught because of what his wife was doing with Cal Cunningham that he contemplated suicide. Cunningham knew about this, and legally, my understanding is, not a lawyer, not in the, not in the military, don't know for sure, but my understanding is, if you learn that a fellow soldier or a veteran is suicidal, you are supposed to go straight to the brass and let them know so they can get that person help Instead, Cal Cunningham laughed about it. We have the text messages. So terrible, terrible person. Absolutely no moral compass. I'm glad that he, last I heard, we had people in North Carolina. Last I heard, he is staying at his sister's house, been kicked out of his marital home. And uh, good. I hope he stays in his sister's basement. <laughs> well, that'll make two, at least two Democrats in the country who live in their basement <laughs> at that point. So, and that, you're right. His greatest strength was that he was a young military guy and it immediately became his biggest liability in an instant because of who he was having an affair with, with whomst he was having an affair. So thank you again for that. Uh, so you guys are constantly breaking news stories every single day. Some are just things that you are absolutely monumental scandals that literally decide the fate of the country. And then others are things that fly right under the radar. And this was one story in particular. Uh, Jacob, you wanted to ask about uh, one of the latest stories published at National File. Yeah, I was I was actually um, to say I was surprised would be uh, an overstatement. But the fact that it's, it has come out that Facebook is shadow boosting the um, uh, the Daily Wire, that that was uh, I wasn't necessarily surprised just because last year I had I would receive posts or ads in Facebook for the Daily Wire and I don't follow the Daily Wire. So I could tell that and they were getting a lot more traction than other more right-leaning publications on Facebook. So this wasn't actually a surprise, but it does kind of speak to Facebook's priorities and that they're they're boosting someone who is in a publication that isn't necessarily bucking the mainstream. And of course, Ben Shapiro did not endorse Trump in 2016. So it's not surprising that they would want to put them that them as the face of the of the conservative right-wing media. Well, and that's exactly what it comes down to. I mean, Ben Shapiro, he in 2003 was so pro-Iraq war, he described America as an empire, said that we need to invade foreign countries. It's our moral obligation. And then as time goes on, he's just kind of continued this. I mean, everybody remembers when he left Breitbart, which I've got my own opinions about how Breitbart has changed in the last few years. But Michelle Fields claimed that Corey Lewandowski, Trump's then campaign manager slash body man, uh, uh, beat her and threw her to the ground and curb stomped her and just made this woman black and blue. And of course, it was actually National Files Patrick Howley, then working at Breitbart, uh, Michelle Fields, a Breitbart reporter, Ben Shapiro, a Breitbart reporter, who proved that to be fake, who got the actual video and put it on his Twitter account, even as he was suspended from Breitbart, showed it was fake. Regardless, Ben Shapiro and Michelle Fields walked out of Breitbart because how dare Breitbart not believe all women? Hashtag believe all women. So that is Ben Shapiro in a nutshell. He is a neocon mouthpiece. He is a Hollywood fiction. He's a creation of Jeremy Boring, who had a giant career in Hollywood before he linked up with Ben Shapiro. And now, of course, Zuckerberg and Facebook they've realized, well, shoot, we've banned National File until they just got a little bit of a nub left. We've banned uh, Gorka. We've banned this guy. We've banned that guy. It's starting to look as though we have an agenda here. What are mm. we going to do about that? Well, Shapiro doesn't say anything offensive. In fact, just the other day, he was shilling for BlackRock, the private equity firm that's buying up every house in America. He, he shilled for the Hollywood pedophile, James Gunn, who now has a job again. So, so okay, we'll just put Ben Shapiro up 
up. We'll make him and the Daily Caller and maybe Glenn Beck, we'll make them our token conservatives who are allowed on Facebook, and then we'll call it good. And frankly, it's really sad because not everybody is like us three or the viewers and listeners of this podcast where we spend every single day mired in the news most people just on their lunch break when they get home from work they might check facebook and they may assume falsely that ben shapiro is actually as popular as he looks on facebook when no it's zuckerberg shadow boosting him well a lot of the people i went to college with whenever politics did come up i noticed a lot of them would reference ben shapiro and at the time i remember i mean obviously i knew who ben shapiro was i read some of his stuff every now and then but i bet this is back in like 2014 2015 i knew that he wasn't exactly far right i knew he wasn't hardcore conservative I, I mean i respected his work i liked a lot of the stuff that he put out but i was just really surprised that in rural alabama a lot of conservatives followed ben shapiro and read ben shapiro because i was thinking you know there's a lot of things that he believes that aren't exactly where you are on social issues and some other things uh, why I, I was trying to figure out why are these people so why do they follow ben shapiro so much and it does make sense because whenever you got the elites whether it's social media or you know whatever is in the elites in society they understand that right-wing voters are always going to exist people who are conservative are always going to exist and they're going to go somewhere to find like-minded news and so they want to try to push people who believe like them into the shadows. So and then, like you said, they can pick people that they agree with that they not that they agree, but people that are are moderate enough to where they don't feel like that they're neo-Nazis, because you got to understand these people are coming from the political spectrum of where Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey are. So from their political spectrum, the far right is Ben Shapiro and anything to the right of Ben Shapiro is essentially neo neo-Nazism. I think that's right. And, and of course, Ben Shapiro is basically Bush-era conservatism, and so anything to the right of Bush, who is currently shilling for transgenderism, and I can't remember what else the Bush Institute is currently doing right now, but all kinds of disgusting things. And I, anything to the right of that is literally Hitler, which, of course, includes anybody who unabashedly supports Trump. Uh, the only sort of conservative allowed to get in the top ten posts on Twitter right now, and we just did an exhaustive search— is Dan Bongino. He will occasionally get to the top 10, but if you just look at a breakdown, there's this great face, uh, Twitter account called Top 10 Facebook Updates or something along those lines. And every single day since that article came out about Shapiro being shadow boosted, with the exception of one that National File could find, Ben Shapiro has not only been in the top 10 Facebook posts, some days he's almost all of them. He'll be eight out of the 10 top Facebook posts on every given day. Now, here's what's funny. The only time that changed is when Ben Shapiro kind of got exposed. The mask slipped a little bit. He said something about pansexuals during his, uh, his, his podcast, during his show, his little thing that he does every day with his cute little studio on his laptop. And it, then at the end of it, he said, uh, can, we, can we cut that out? Can we cut out the part where I joked about the pansexuals? I, I just don't want to be boycotted. I just don't want to have people oh, upset with me. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and the next day after that, and of course, National File reported that, all the real news outlets reported that, the next day, Ben Shapiro was not in the top 10 posts. So, wow. it, it, see, if people actually knew about him, he would not be that popular but no it's force fed down people's throats everything he said is focus grouped i wouldn't be surprised if we found out frank luntz was involved and in <laughs> jeremy boring the the co-founder of daily wire in jeremy boring's own words jeremy boring is a hollywood insider who saw ben shapiro on tv one day and then he called him up brought him into his office and said ben 
I love your ideas, but we got to get you a haircut. We got to get you some fresher clothes. We got to distill you down and work on your talking points a little bit more. And then we can market you, my friends. And Ben Shapiro said yes. And the rest is history. Yeah. Allow me to jump in on this because this, this is my dream right here is just nonstop Ben Shapiro bashing. I was a huge fan. I was full confession. I am a convert. I was a Ben Shapiro fanboy for the longest time. I was in college at Santa Barbara, of course, where one of the two national headquarters of Young America's Foundation is. And that's basically the Daily Wire speaking circuit at this point. They ask college students to pay them obscene amounts of money to bring Shapiro, Matt Walsh, their, that woman they have there now, Elisha Krauss, I guess. She's the newest member of the lineup, like all the Daily Wire people. And Ben Shapiro is their number one figure. And I interned at their Reagan Ranch Center, and I was active in Young America's Foundation. And that what you're referring to is what Jeremy Boring first saw was the famous debate that Ben Shapiro had with Piers Morgan on CNN in early 2013 in the aftermath of the Sandy Hook shooting. And famously, he did, to his credit, he schooled Piers Morgan. He picked up, he pulled out a little uh, pocket constitution from his shirt coat and, you know, put it on the desk in front of Piers Morgan and said, here's the Constitution. You should read that, Piers, sometime. And it was it was funny. And he he did kind of school him on the facts and the facts and logic as well. But he had this weird haircut that literally made him look like a middle school class president. You know, he didn't look professional. He didn't look TV made at all. And, of course, he has been polished off. And he has very much been promoted. Right? Like you said, he's being promoted by the mainstream media, by the left. Famously, it culminated with a New York Times article that declared him to be a conservative gladiator. This conservative gladiator is fighting for conservatism on college campuses, and it's a picture <laughs> of him with a raised fist. And I did go to a lot of his speeches. I was a fan of his. I listened to his podcast daily. And what did turn me off, of course, ultimately was, yes, 2016. He famously said, you know, there's no difference between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, folks. They're basically the same people, okay? There's no reason to vote at the top of the ticket this year, folks. They're both you do terrible. that voice way <laughs> too well. You know, that's the thing. Jeremy Borg could not fix that voice. I mean, if Ben Shapiro, if you happen to watch this, or Jeremy, so you can tell Ben. Um, ben, smoke a pack of cigarettes a day, drink a pint of whiskey, and scream at the top of your lungs into a pillow. That voice is just, it nails on a damn, nails on a chalkboard. And with the idea, the idea, that, lot, that facts don't care about your feelings. I mean, and the, just slow it down, dude. Not everybody is a coastal elite. Those of us here in the middle America, and I'm sure, Jacob, you could speak to that in the South. We don't know what to do when you're speaking this fast. It's really, really weird and kind of uncomfortable. It's and that, that was happy. another reason, that was exactly, that was another reason why I couldn't figure out why these Southern college students were watching Ben Shapiro, I was thinking there's nothing about Ben Shapiro that lines up with your culture at all. Like, first of all, how do you keep up with what he's saying? Like, I can't, it's, it, I had to I basically have to slow it down on YouTube, like put it on 0.5 speed just to understand what he's saying. And secondly, he's, you know, he's not a Christian. So if you're, most conservatives are Christian, especially in Alabama, like 99% of conservatives are Christians. How is it that a non-Christian rises to the top? And you answered that question saying that he was he has been force fed on Americans because we're in a situation where especially older conservatives and even in 2013, they're looking around for some young person who actually believes in America and believes in their values because all the young people they know of and see on television, they're all anti-American and left wing. And they see this Pierce Morgan interview with this young guy is schooling Pierce Morgan on the Second Amendment. And they're like, wow, they're so impressed. They're like, hey, let, where, let me donate to where is he right now? Where, where, how can I give him money to help boost him? But it's because that's he's the only one that they see. They don't see the dozens or even thousands of other young Americans out there who are also articulate and could argue these views because they're not allowed to see them. It's not Shapiro has not competed on an equal playing field with his conservative peers. 
I'd say that that's exactly right. And and that is completely by design. It all goes back to the shadow boosting. It all goes back to the Hollywood creation. He left Breitbart because they were going too far Trump. I mean, I, one thing that you can say about Ben Shapiro is he is a lot like a politician. And I guess this could be conceived as a compliment if you uh, are a morally baseless person. But he can see which way the wind is blowing. He has a, a, a fantastic ability to figure out what is going to make him the most money, not just in the short run, but the long run. There's a lot of people who made a lot of money off Trump right up till they were banned from social media. And Ben Shapiro has managed to stay out there and stay there the longest. But, you know, he also... He is very intelligent at not getting himself in any position where he might look bad. I mean, we all remember Milo Yiannopoulos and think of what you will of him now. In 2016, he was a force to be reckoned with. I still like Milo. I appreciate that he's a Christian and now a heterosexual. But Shapiro dodged the debate with him that they had planned like five different times, always blaming Milo for it. And frankly, that's the best thing Shapiro could have done. Just keep making up excuses why he can't attend the debate because he would absolutely Absolutely look bad if he actually if he stopped yelling at college freshmen with purple hair and started actually having constructive conversations with people to his right, of which there are many, he would be devastated, his star would be gone, the movement as a whole would be better off for it, but no, he would be a has-been almost instantly. And frankly, either of you, Eric, Jacob, if you guys went up against Shapiro, I have zero doubt you would have five million followers the next day and Shapiro would be uh, uh, refinancing his house. <laughs> oh, I would, I have written so many articles bashing Ben Shapiro and American Greatness, it is not not even funny. I that people always tell me that, and you mentioned I do the voice well. I've ever since I came to DC, I've had too many people, way too many people, tell me, you know, you look like Ben Shapiro, and I'm just like, oh, stop! Like, uh, I, I remember going to college during that time, the 2015-2016 culture war. Man, it was a great time to be alive. And yes, the divide between Milo and Shapiro when they were both at Breitbart. Breitbart. Most people forget Shapiro was even at Breitbart. It's been for so long now. But that was famously the divide. I remember, I'm, I feel old when I say this, I remember when Ben and Milo were friends. And they were on Twitter, and they, they would goof on each other, and they would roast each other and make jokes. And you could tell it was in good humor. They were good friends and had genuine disagreements. Then, of course, the Michelle Fields thing happened. Even though, by the way, she had a history of lying about being physically assaulted, she'd also made similar accusations against Alan West's bodyguards and against members of the New York Police Department at an Occupy Wall Street protest. She claimed that they nearly ran her over with their patrol car, even though there was no evidence to back that up. <laughs> but famously, I remember a whole bunch of friends of mine in the college Republicans, cringe I know, but at the time they were kind of based. We were getting ready to go to Los Angeles on a road trip because they were going to have a great big convention in person there. This was 2016 called We Are Breitbart. And it was going to be the first time ever, as you pointed out, Ben and Milo were going to be in the same room together. They were going to be on stage. They were. Gonna, it was going to be a panel ostensibly, but you know it would have turned into a debate. It would have turned into a debate, and it was going to be glorious. It was announced. It was scheduled. It was going to happen. Then the Michelle Fields incident happened, and they <laughs> Shapiro left. quit his job to get out of it. What? Exactly. That's the real reason. We just found the real reason. <laughs> exactly, exactly. He knew he would get destroyed. And as you said, yeah, Milo... He's definitely fallen very far from where he once was, but there's no question in my mind. I think this is I think this is an objective statement of fact. He was the number one figurehead in that culture war. He was doing so much more on college campuses than anybody else. When Shapiro was still rising, he was still kind of a C-lister at the time, gradually rising. 
did, he did more than I, most people didn't know who, really who Charlie Kirk was at the time. And, you know, he had his friends who were with him, like Steven Crowder and a few others and others in the distant, right? What was the, I like to think, the original alt-right before it became just Wignat cringe hijacked by the likes of Richard Spencer, like Lawrence Southern and Gavin McGinnis and others. Milo was number one. He was doing more to galvanize young Trump supporters on college campuses than anybody else. And once you see why... The everybody worked together to stop Milo. The conservative establishment, like the uh, the Reagan Battalion group, of course, the left and the drunken peasants te teamed up against him when they all shared those edited, out of context comments of his to make him seem like a pedophile. Even though the left apparently doesn't have problems with pedophiles, they had to sink him because they knew that faction of the right taking over was not the type of gatekeepers they wanted to have. Which is exactly what Shapiro ended up being. Well, and you mentioned well, that if Shapiro I, had to go against someone who is genuinely to his right, who was the the English gentleman that he um, left the debate? On oh and, yeah, the BBC. Um, oh, oh, that's right. <laughs> Andrew Neil. I believe Andrew that was Neil. Andrew Neil. Right? Yep, Andrew yep, Neil. Yep. That was that was Shapiro's downfall, in my opinion, because that was. I mean, he had done things a few times that really messed up. I remember even uh, before that, famously, the very first summit meeting between Trump and Kim Jong-un. I remember watching that live with my parents on Fox News. We all knew what a historic moment that was. And in the lead up to it, they have their panelists on, you know, Tommy Lahrens and whatever. They had Shapiro on to talk about it. And as it is underway, before this is, of course, before the big moment where they come out and do the handshake, as it is getting ready, Shapiro is on Fox News, primetime, bashing the summit and criticizing Trump, saying he shouldn't be doing this, folks. He shouldn't be meeting this literal madman who has nukes. He shouldn't be enabling a dictator like this, folks. And on social media, they posted that segment on social media. Boomers overwhelmingly were bashing Shapiro, like, how dare he criticize Trump? So he has let the the curtain fall every now and then, and he's exposed what he is. But definitely the BBC incident exposed to a broader audience that this guy is a joke. And for all his, oh, why won't AOC debate me, folks? Oh, people were afraid to debate me. Why won't they debate me? He does a debate with a 80-something-year-old British dude on the BBC and just gets absolutely steamrolled, and it was the funniest thing ever. It was like, nobody well, knows and, who you are, and the, uh, Andrew right. Andrew Neal is pretty popular you know, among conservative circles. Well, and he, he's a conservative. I mean, yeah, he is. A, he's, well, maybe not conservative, but, but he has a reputation of being very conservative, and in fact, now, it's very funny, that interview with uh, uh, Benji Boy seems to have done better for Andrew Neal. Now he's actually left the BBC, starting his own entire broadcast network that is going to be an actual independent network in the British Isles that will hopefully offer a little bit more right of center or at least center programming. And again, and that all comes after I'm guessing his profile was elevated greatly in internationalized after Ben Shapiro stormed out of an interview with the conservative. I mean, and that that's really the thing about Shapiro. He doesn't know what to do when his ideas are really challenged. When it is a 14 year old, I guess we're college aged, a 19 year old, 18 year old girl again with purple hair. Maybe she thinks she's a boy. Maybe it's a boy who thinks it's a girl. I mean, who the hell knows? Ben Shapiro can beat those people down intellectually, but when it comes down to somebody, and Andrew Neal, it wasn't even a hostile interview. He was giving Ben Shapiro softballs to let him bang it out of the park for an international audience, and he stormed out like a little girl. One thing that's fascinating is, and this is what National File really enjoys reminding people, and me personally, I should say, but... There's all of these people, the Glenn Becks, the Ted Cruz, the Ben Shapiros, who 
In 2015-16, they were the biggest anti-Trumpers. He had Ted Cruz in Colorado. He lost, yet somehow he got all the delegates. He was doing every underhanded tactic he could to screw over President Trump and become the Republican nominee in 2016. Glenn Beck famously put his face in a bowl of Cheetos to mock President Trump. And, uh, of course, Ben Shapiro, as we discussed, quit his job because a tattletale lying lunatic of a female who is no longer employed she's raising kids which i think is a good thing but uh because she lied i mean these people now thanks to the big tech oligarchs thanks to the fox news hierarchy thanks to the public speaking circuit are all now somehow back on top and i don't think it's real i don't think it's authentic and i don't think it's real look at how close the election always is with ted cruz he should have been able to beat beto o'rourke beto o'rourke whoever you say the weird little guy's name should have been able to beat him handily instead it was very very close the same goes with glenn beck glenn beck now never says anything himself it seems like he's always got all of these other blaze tv personalities and even ben shapiro ben shapiro had to go hire matt walsh who wants to give money to aoc he had to go hire michael knowles who is by far the best person at daily wire and he had to go hire all these people i think because they know they are on the way out and the only way to do it is to cloak yourself by being surrounded camouflage yourself maybe is the right word with people who are better than you exactly yeah they have to appeal to the trump base because they know the trump base is not going anywhere even though he quote unquote lost the election they know that his popularity is he is still the dominant figure on the right right now um, and that actually leads very nicely into the question I wanted to ask you. So, of course, it goes without saying it's not rocket science to figure out that the mainstream media is left wing. Oh, CNN are a bunch of hacks. MSNBC is in Biden's pocket. Uh, CBS hates Trump. Like, we all know this. It's as plain as day at the same how college campuses are liberal. Did you know college campuses are liberal? No, you don't say. We know this. What we don't talk about nearly as much, and we should, I think, are the shortcomings of conservative media, as it were. And of course, we all know Fox has definitely been suffering a bit ever since they jumped all in on the Biden train with calling Arizona way too early in the 2020 election. And of course, millions, literally millions of viewers left, in mostly in favor of Newsmax. But there are underlying problems, I think, in some conservative media outlets, certainly Daily Wire, again, as long as Shapiro is the center bearer and others. What do you think, Tom, are the biggest pitfalls that conservative media, conservative ink media is falling for? Which sites do you think are the ones that really can't be trusted and which ones can be trusted? And what can we begin to do other than, of course, supporting websites like yours, like nationalfile.com? What can we do to fix the media, the small media landscape that we have for ourselves? Well, so there's two or maybe three major problems. One problem is ideological. One problem is grift. And another problem is funding. And so the ideological thing is where you get an outlet like Fox News that is run by liberals. It was created by liberals to, well, not, not created, I shouldn't say, but now it is presently run by liberals and neocons and never Trumpers like Paul Ryan who want to try to get back to Bush era conservatism. And so the entire network has that in mind. A couple shows are sort of token shows, and I don't say that to bash, for instance, Tucker Carlson. He's phenomenal. I hope he has that show forever. I hope he gets five shows. Right now he's only doing two. He needs to be doing five. But that's a bone. The other, what, 20 hours a day of their programming is all completely Bush-era conservatism. So that's the ideological problem. The second one is grift. There are so many out there, and this became 
painful to deal with in the aftermath of the 2020 election when there were ways that President Trump could have proven the allegations of voter fraud and he may still be president right now. But so many individuals and organizations saw it as the last big hurrah to make money. And I don't want to name websites here because I think some of them realize what they did was morally gray at best and reprehensible at worst. But it, it was a money-making operation, and, and we all have to make money, but if you see an opportunity to make potentially hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in the span of a couple months, it's hard for some people to take down or turn that down. Uh, uh, National File did. We're all still starving journalists wearing the same suits for years on end, but, you know, not everybody can be us. And then three, the, the funding. And so... I'll just throw them under the bus. Take Breitbart, for example. Breitbart, I don't know their financials, but my understanding is that they are not a profit-generating enterprise. They are funded by the Mercer family, which, of course, has their own interests. And Daily Caller, it's a foundation. That means it gets funding from people. Without that funding, they cannot continue. Daily Wire, it has funding from, what was it, the Winklevosses or something along those lines? The, the, I mean, the Wilkes brothers. Wilkes Brothers, thank you. And, and, and so th these are all their news outlets. It's no different than what happens at the Washington Post, where everybody knows it's the Jeff Bezos blog. It's no different than what happened for many years at the New York Times, where everybody knows it's, uh, what is it, Carlos Slim's blog. And it absolutely happens to the right. And it's no coincidence that these people grossly overpay their employees, lock them down, get all of the engagement they can, and then they try to gatekeep and make it impossible for up-and-coming publications to get out there. So the big thing that National File is hoping to facilitate and the big thing that can be done to get past this or at least learn how to adapt and live with it is not just learn what news to read but learn how to read the news or even watch the news. And it comes down to trying to figure out what the other person's biases are, what the other person's funding comes from, and what the what is the story they're presenting, and then what is the story that they're using their story to cover up. And basically, that is what National File does. We shine a spotlight on that, even in our day-to-day -day aggregate reporting, of trying to say, what is the real story here? Okay, so the lead is on this Washington Post article's paragraph 47. That's the lead. 47. We're going to take that paragraph, we're going to put it at the top, and we're going to slap Washington Post in the face. And frankly, the same thing can be done to Breitbart articles. And more than Breitbart, the worst offender of all these supposed conservative websites is the Daily Caller. The Daily Caller, until National File called them out, was completely pro-Caitlyn Jenner. Unabashedly, no criticism of Caitlyn Jenner was allowed on the Daily Caller. We called them out. They're starting to come back around on this a little bit. But the Daily Caller... Caller is the only conservative site that is a accredited by the Pointer Institute fact checker. If more people knew that, I don't think their reputation would be as stellar as it still is. Yeah, and I know Jacob had a very great story about Daily Caller from the time that he uh, briefly uh, talked to some people who had interned there, and he discussed it on a previous podcast. Well, I actually interviewed there with uh, Neil Patel, who is their co-founder, and uh, <laughs> Patel told me uh, just – I was – Wow, you're either going to admit this to someone you don't even know who's going to later go start their own podcast and tell the world about it. But he actually <laughs> told me that uh, they try, one of the things they try to do with their two-year journalism school or internship is they try to get the people who come in and intern with them placed at liberal institutions. So they'll try to place them in the Huffington Post, New York Times. And the reason for that, he said, was because, quote, 
our donors like that. And I was thinking to myself, and, and what he admitted that what ends up happening is most of these people, they go native whenever they go to these liberal outlets. They end up becoming left-wing journalists, and uh, Caitlin, Caitlin Collins, Collins is, is a perfect example, example of that. Uh, the yep. Daily Wire literally trained one of the left's best, and it was she was trained with conservative donors' money. Uh, he said, you know, because our donors like that. I'm thinking to myself, you know, well, have you told the donor? I didn't say this, but I'm thinking, have you told the donors what's happening? That they're literally funding their enemies by doing this, by training these young. Well, idealistic- the donors know. I mean, that's the joke. The donors want that because they don't want good conservative reporters. They want good liberal supporters. The daily, I mean, the Daily Caller. Everything's a daily, but <laughs> that's why we're the National File. But exactly. the Daily Caller, the the donors, they know this. They know what it's all about. They absolutely know that it is an influence operation, and they know that they're going to go and go native at these places and it's and that's how and and i had a similar experience i I won't burn that bridge yet but uh they they will if you get to that point where you're interviewing with the top guy they will absolutely tell you point blank range "Eh, depends what the donors like we don't make our decisions yeah i'm the editor-in-chief doesn't matter i'm not the donor and so national file we may be broke we may be poor we may be in a in a mickey mouse studio that's taken three years to cobble together but we will tell the truth, and we're not held back by some donor who has uh, a million different vested interests. And the more donors you get, I mean, it must be maddening. No, we can't report on that because this donor says this. Well, we can't report on that because that donor's into big pharma. We can't mm-hmm. report on that because that donor, he has business interests in China. It must be maddening, and frankly, I thank God that we don't have to deal with that in National File. Exactly, and that is a problem, even going back to another one example of the funders, the, the financiers who dictate the agenda. I love Steve Bannon. He is definitely one of my political idols. And I, I like Milo, I will always have a fondness for him. But it needs to be said, I think, Jacob, you listen to his podcast, War Room, more often than I do. It's been said that for a while now, every episode, all he does, according to you, Jacob, feel free to chime in here. He just talks about how bad China is and how evil the CCP is and how we have to overthrow China, right? That That is the theme. And even his intro song is uh, some kind of uh, – you can tell it's some kind of, I don't know, Chinese rock in English is what it sounds like. It's like, let's take down the CCP. That's like the main <laughs> chorus of a song. It's and so I think boring. Myself, why, are, why is that your theme song? Like how about – let's save America or make America great again. Like why don't you put the focus on America? But uh, Eric, you kind of cleared this up for me at some point. Yes. He, uh, well, you know, so we all know famously that, uh, that absolute scumbag, Michael Wolf, that epitome of fake news wrote that fake book that falsely claimed that Bannon had made unflattering comments about Donald Trump Jr. And about president Trump himself. And that created a big rift as we all know, between president Trump and Steve Bannon, he infamously referred to him as sloppy Steve. And shortly after that, the Mercers, the, the billionaires who've, who funded uh, Breitbart, they cut him off completely. So sometime after that, he met with a Chinese dissident billionaire who is now funding him and funding War Room and, you know, put two and two together. It's it's kind of obvious. And I mean, yeah, again, we all have to make our money somehow. That's fine. But to act like China, and yes, China's a problem. China is the reason we lost a year of our daily lives and lost what is it, over 600,000 Americans well, see, now? And I even, I mean, I even chafe against that. I mean, because China didn't make us lock down. I mean, China didn't sure. make state after state like domino, but, and that, that's, 
it's kind of a talking point almost with the Republican Party, thanks to people like Bannon. And again, I don't dislike Bannon. When he's not talking about China, he seems to talk about the Arizona audit, and some of his coverage on the Arizona audit has been phenomenal. Really, oh, yes. I mean, just 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 the best I've seen in the in the business. But you got to sift through what's happening in China today, and it's so boring. Maybe when Trump was in office, it wasn't like this, but it's so damn boring because I look out my window last year and I see Black Lives Matter riots literally outside my bedroom window, tearing things down, beating up cars with baseball bats, pulling people off a motorcycle. This happened in my relatively small city. And meanwhile, China. I'm supposed to care about China. We have uh, unbelievable inflation. We have an economy on the verge of collapse. We've got the, this this I believe fake hacking thing happening every other week. It's a pipeline. It's a meat packing plant. What's next? Is it going to be the electric grid? And yet I'm supposed to worry about what's happening in China. I'm sorry for the Uyghurs. I think it's very sad that they're being held indefinitely without bail, kind of like the January 6th protesters, some of which are being held on trespassing charges now for six months with no bail. I mean, let's focus on the horrific, abysmal, terrifying things happening in in this country, and maybe once we get some of those things under control, I'll go back to caring what China, what's happening over in China. And again, it all comes from, I mean, and I don't dislike it. I love the Epic Times. I love Steve Bannon. But it all comes from the funding source. You have to parrot what your funder cares about. And even at the Stop the Steal rallies, I don't know if you uh, noticed this, but at all of those Stop the Steal rallies, and even whenever President Trump was in the hospital at Walter Reed, Chinese dissidents were all over the place. They were at all the Stop the Steal rallies. They were all passing out their, their Chinese dissident literature. They were holding up signs, not talking about President Trump, not talking about American politics, but trying to get MAGA people to donate or care about what's going on in Taiwan and Hong Kong in the area where the Uyghurs are. It was all about – and even there, they had a Uyghur flag in front of Walter Reed High, uh, Hospital. There are uh, several Chinese dissidents with Uyghur flags out there, uh, and it's like – you know, fly the American flag. This is this is America. Like we, don't, we, I feel sorry for what's happening, but we have our own problems here. That we have to worry about, and really, this is what, what it amounts to: is it's kind of neo Cold War attitude uh, from a lot of people who are being oppressed abroad. They feel like America is this great beacon of democracy and freedom, and if they can infiltrate American politics, that the American government will go, you know, slay the dragons that are oppressing them abroad. But you know, well, and I wish we could. I mean, it's just we can't even slay the dragons that are oppressing us correct. at home. We we can't have a secure election. We've got Merrick Garland now threatening to just go in and start arresting people in Arizona. He's trying to stop the audits from spreading to other states. It's like, I'm sorry. I would love to be the international superhero that goes and makes sure every country in the world has free and fair elections and that communism and fascism and mercantilism and all the isms, all of them go away and it's just America style democracy damn it you know some of that sounds pretty cool it doesn't seem to work a lot of the time and i would love to be able to help the chinese but again it's like people chinese people i'm very sorry i know that we're still better than china but look at what's going on not by much and not for long maybe you need to go to poland i don't know what to <laughs> yeah. tell you but uh, you're <laughs> not gonna find help here Eastern Europe is pretty nice right around this uh, time of year and pretty much every time of year from what I hear. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it is – It you really touched on a lot there. You really very concisely listed all the problems we have going domestically. And that kind of ties back into another question I want to ask you because this is – I know this is – let's pull back to approximately 17,776 feet here and look over everything. So 
This may be a lot, but I, I definitely value your opinion. You are a smart guy. You definitely know what's up. And I want your opinion on the broader picture. So people, of course, are talking about 2024, how this people are talking about how this first term is going to go. People are taking bets like Deadpool style bets on uh, how long Biden will last before uh, he wakes up to see Kamala Harris standing over him one day with a my pillow in her hands, you know, and <laughs> how when she takes over, will it be before the midterms or after? Will Trump run again? What do you think, you know, in the short term, what do you think is going to happen in America in terms of for us, whether it's the economy, whether it's civil unrest, more riots? Do you would you say you ultimately are more black pilled or more white pilled right about now, Tom Pappert? Well, I mean, we're kind of playing a game of chicken, right? And, and first of all, I think that after Kamala's last few weeks, she they're not they're, they're giving up on that one. They're going to do anything they can to keep Joe alive because they can't let this unlikable woman take over. But we're kind of playing a game of chicken right now because they, the 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 almighty they, the globalists, whatever you want to call them, the uniparty, the people who really pulled the strings behind both parties, they know that President Trump screwed up their whole timeline. They wanted the slow, gradual decline of the United States and the West as whole to happen over the next, I don't know, 75 years. It should have been our grandchildren who were dealing with what we're dealing with right now. President Trump comes along, wakes up a ton of people, gets more people interested in politics than probably any time in the last 100 years, maybe longer, frankly. And so that screwed up their timeline. And so the question is now, um, are we going to be able to, in the next, goodness, 18 months, uh, fix, and by fix, I mean restore the integrity of our elections in critical battleground states. Or are we going to be uh, uh, cajoled by the Republican Party into doing nothing? Or are, is there going to be some type of Trump card pulled out where they're just going to launch EMP strikes and take out all the Midwest and the South, and then they'll all beg to go to the FEMA camps? And so, <laughs> and I, I, I think a lot about that. I think that that may be their way out of this. But um, I, 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 if we can continue on the trajectory we're going right now with what's happened in Arizona, getting some election integrity moves only then to have them killed by the governor, but I don't think those are dead yet. If we can continue what happened in Georgia, where they did an election integrity bill, not the best that's ever been done, but pretty good. If we can continue this trajectory, then I see no reason why we can't have a phenomenal 2022 and a phenomenal 2024, but we have to do things that actually help. And let me tell you, one thing that does not help is when Trump gets out there and endorses complete jackasses like Tim Scott, this guy who who hates him, said he committed an insurrection on January 6th, and he gets an endorsement. And so I know President Trump is going to play games in the House, and he's going to let Mitch have what he wants in the Senate, but that's not what the American people need, and that's not going to ultimately help us. So I think it comes down to our action Everybody who listens to this, everybody who considers themselves a pro-Trump, America first individual, we all need to actually get our feet and hands dirty, get some dirt under our nails, go into these states, go in, figure out not just the federal level, the state level individuals who are good, who are bad, who needs to be replaced, who needs to be cajoled with the threat of being replaced and get these election laws fixed. And Arizona is a great example. We now have uh, Mark Fincham, who is a fire breather down there, a state representative in an extremely safe district, putting it all on the line to run for Secretary of State of Arizona. Again, this guy wins by like 70 points every, four, every uh, two years. But he's going to try to take on Katie Hobbs, this vile witch in Arizona, who is the Secretary of State who allowed all of the insane vote by mail crap to go on. 
And he is a, he, I, he's a good one. Karen Fan, president of the Senate, responsible for the audit in many ways. Great one. Kelly Ward, mm -hmm. chairwoman of the Republican Party. Great one. Yeah, I can name some similar names in Georgia, but this should these should be the names that we're all quoting right now. These should be the people that we're watching. Hate to say it, I love some of the people in the U.S. House and Senate. Their whole job right now is to hold the line while we fix up what's happening in these states and eventually send them some backup. Yeah, their, their job is to keep H.R. 1 from ever becoming law. That is exactly that's paramount. Yeah. The biggest issues, the handful, the top issues, definitely election integrity. We got to fix voting laws. And you're seeing it. Uh, I think Florida passed a really good bill. Iowa as well. Texas is working on some, as is Arizona. Election integrity, doing something about big tech. Which, again, Ron DeSantis is definitely leading the way with the bills he signed. We've talked about that on our show as well. Election integrity, big tech. I think CRT is definitely a good issue to touch upon because, I mean, there's only so much we can do at an institutional level. Like, again, Ron DeSantis and others. But... Simply raising the awareness is so important yes. that making it an issue and seeing it now. We're seeing how many viral videos now. Every other day, there's another viral video of a parent, sometimes even a teacher, at the school board meeting, screaming at the school board about how dare you teach my kids that they are racist. How dare you give my five-year-old kid a book on how to, you know, on how to um, <clears throat> pleasure themselves. You know, how dare you? And they are becoming aware. They, they, you could say that's one blessing in disguise of the pandemic is with remote learning parents finally got to see what their kids are being taught whether it's on racial issues or whether it's you know the transgenderism stuff and it's working and that is certainly one issue too and i also agree yeah definitely weeding out the good and the bad republicans i think president trump again he's a businessman he's a pragmatist and you guys both know me well enough to know that i will pretty much always defend him but i do think his primary endorsements are his biggest weakness by far he makes some bad endorsements well, and I understood it. Let me just stop you. I understood it completely. I knew what was happening in 2018, as I think everybody did. Oh, okay, so Mitch McConnell is telling him to endorse these people or else he's going to impeach him. Oh, okay, Paul Ryan's saying to endorse these people or else he's going to impeach him. That was the threat that he was under, and Mitch McConnell would have done it. He is a, a, a soulless little husk of a man who is controlled, I believe, by his domineering wife, who in turn loves China. So, okay, I get that, whatever. But now that he's out and, and doing his own thing, there is absolutely no no reason to play nice with these people. We should be committing political nuclear warfare against the Republican Party, reforming it in President Trump's image and creating a new coalition of America firsters who will never back down. Another horrific example of President Trump. If you watch this, buddy, uh, just rescind the endorsement. It can all be fixed. But he endorsed a guy named John Boozman or Bozeman, however he wants to pronounce his name this week in the great state of Arkansas, when there is a phenomenal woman by the name of Jan Morgan running for Senate against him in the primary. Bozeman is anti-Trump. Bozeman has always been anti-Trump. In fact, in 2019, I believe, Bozeman went on the record saying he hopes Liz Cheney runs for Senate Good and he Lord. gets a Trump endorsement. Oh, man. Yeah. And that is a further testament to the fundamental problem, I think, with whatever's going on with Trump right now. It's true what they say. Personnel is policy. And that was the biggest flaw with his administration. I can't necessarily blame that on him. You can't expect one man, even if he's president of the United States, to staff up the entire federal government. That's just physically impossible. Well, part of the reason the problem they had is there just weren't that many people who agreed with his ideology that he could fill those positions with. And this is something I mentioned before the show, um, Rick Grinnell. A lot of people rag on Rick Grinnell for being – a lot of people on the right rag on him for being homosexual and so trying to push that agenda in the Republican Party. But I actually see Rick Grinnell as one of the best people that Trump put in his administration just because he agrees with Trump on foreign policy. He was in line with Trump on foreign policy, which can't be said about 99 percent 
of the people that Trump put in his in a foreign policy capacity in his administration. Now, on trade, Trump was spot on. Everybody that Trump got on trade agreed with him because that was the issue that Trump cared about the most, that he was going to micromanage. But a lot of these other secondary, thir- you know, tertiary issues that Trump wasn't quite as big on, I feel like he let you know people, other people staff those positions for him. He wasn't really micromanaging those positions as well. Yes, and and I think that that was a big problem with uh, from the onset. I mean, a lot of people trace Trump's downfall to like trusting Paul Ryan in seventeen or even eighteen. I trace it all the way back, and and I'm sorry to say this, and I and downfall is not so nice. Maybe it's too uh, strong of a word, but fall from the zenith. Maybe now he's in a plateau. But it all came when Mike Pence became the vice presidential candidate. And it all was done with the idea, Pence has been on the Hill, he's friends with these people, he knows how to staff an office, he's evangelical. he can be the liaison. He, oh yeah, and there's also, I mean, you could have had five different candidates, you could have had Huckabee and got those votes, but he was the inside man. He knew how the sausage was made, and he would be the perfect liaison. He would staff the, the uh, OBMN, what is the Office of Personnel Management or whatever it is, he would staff all these offices he would get it done and he did but he staffed these offices with people who hated the guy at the top but they were seasoned republican advisors and as you say you can't you know you can't have trump staffing every single office every single i mean it, it never we never would have had a government it took mm-hmm. long enough as it is but we never would have had a government and then there's also any role that had to be approved by the senate you had to go through Mitch McConnell. I mean, it's like these horrific Supreme Court justices who, I mean, we might as well have just let Nancy Pelosi decide who was going to be in the in the highest court in the land. None of them wanted to lift a finger when it came to election integrity. None of them wanted to do anything about any big issue from about, oh, I don't know, November 3rd till January 20th. They all just wanted to sit back and collect their paycheck with, of course, one notable exception, Clarence Thomas, who is a king. But Those people were not picked by Trump. They had a short list. Who will Mitch McConnell let me pick? All right, well, of the ones Mitch will let me pick, I pick this one. A lot of people don't understand that vile turtlenecked cuck has a ton of control in this country, and he absolutely could have ended President Trump's presidency at any time, and he would have done it without taking any personal political damage. He would have said, all right, you six, you're sacrificing your career. We'll make sure you get a high-paid lobbying job after this. You are going to side with the Democrats and get President Trump impeached. End of story. That's it. Now I get to go back to business as usual. All hail Vice President, oh, President Pence. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mitch McConnell absolutely staffed those positions. P- Pence absolutely staffed those positions. And it really speaks. That's why, you know, on the surface, Trump has a tremendous opportunity where if he goes back in in 24, and I mean, if a lot of people don't want that to happen, but I, I live in reality. And very obviously, if Trump declares as a candidate in 24, and he's pretty much said he is, he will be the nominee. And if he manages to get back in in November of 24, then he now understands a little bit more, hopefully, about how the sausage is made. And hopefully he won't make the same mistakes that he did the first time around, which is believing that you can work with the Republican Party. The Republican Party needs to be rebuilt, not worked with. Yeah, it's definitely really easy to play Wednesday morning quarterback and look at, you know, these decisions after the fact. I still remember in 2016 when the shortlist, the the alleged shortlist for VP was a three-way tie between Chris Christie, Newt Gingrich, and Mike Pence. And you look back now, and of course, Christie did ultimately go very anti-Trump. He went sour as soon as uh, he successfully got removed by Jared Kushner from 
the uh, head of the transition team, which was probably going to lead to a chief of staff role. One of the best things Kushner did, in my opinion, because Christie turned out to be a traitor. You look back now and realistically, Gingrich probably would have made the best choice because he's still been very loyal to Trump. He's been very outspoken on voter fraud and CRT and whatnot. But Pence, I remember the Indiana primary was the big last chance for Cruz to mathematically stop Trump from being the nominee. And then Governor Mike Pence of Indiana endorsed Cruz. And then Trump won the state in a landslide, and Cruz dropped out, and, and the mailman's well, and, son dropped out. And, and of so that. funny stuff about that endorsement. So we had an exclusive uh, that we put up right around uh, January 6th, 7th of this year, right in time to make sure Pence could never be president. And, uh, and, and so we had a person who used to work on Pence's campaign, who then during 2016 got brought into the Trump-Pence campaign. And this guy said that, um, that endorsement was bought by Ted Cruz's uh, a campaign manager, who is still Ted Cruz's campaign manager today. Uh, he said, hey, we got this big funding source that's going to come your way for your reelect. I'd hate to spend it on your primary opponent. That'd really suck for you, wouldn't it? And so that's how come Pence gave a full-throated endorsement of Trump, but at the end of it said, but I'm going to vote for Ted Cruz. And then as time went on, uh, Pence, this guy says, he was approached by top party insiders, including Rince Priebus. I said his name right because I know it's a G-rated podcast, but including Rince Priebus, who was then the chair of the RNC, top guy. And they said, look, Billy Bush weekend, Trump, grab him by the P word. This is it. He's going to lose. We got to get rid of him. We found some procedural ways to go about it. And President Pence... You're the guy. You're it now, Pence. You're going to be president. We just need to get you. We've got to get Trump out and you win. Pence went along with that. He agreed. Karen Pence, by the way, everybody forgets that's his wife's name. <laughs> Karen Pence was totally on board. In fact, she hates Trump, thinks he's a pig. And so it was only after Trump found out about this because Trump, you know, he, he has guys loyal to him in the Pence camp. And Trump called Pence in and he said, look, if you do this, I will burn you down. You will never have a job. You won't even get paid to go back on talk radio, loser. So either side with me or you're dead politically. And Pence shot back an email freaking out. Okay, can't do it. Trump's going to win. We got this. Bye. Sorry, wife. I don't care if you're upset. And so so Pence, I mean, and, and these are all, this guy went on, he was recorded on a microphone for National File. You can listen to the full audio clips, nationalfile.com. I think it's still my pinned tweet on Twitter. And uh, I mean, you can decide for yourself, but that's who Mike Pence has been since October of 2016, before Trump even won the election. Yeah, that is just, that really says it all. And unfortunately, the sad fact is that he, unfortunately, whatever, whatever number of people he has around him at Mar-a-Lago right now, however, I imagine it's probably Terrible. a smaller team, 20 or 30 or so. It's not, they're not doing great. They're still telling him to give these endorsements. They made that decision. I'm, I, my mind was blown when I saw this. The decision to delete the desk website from the desk of Donald J. Trump. It was, it wasn't get. I get it. It wasn't getting the engagement that his 90 million Twitter follower account had, but... It was still a good website. You could get your updates. They were clearly still written by him. They read like tweets. It was great. Then they delete it and replace it with a page to sign up for an email list. I'm just like, oh, you've got to be kidding me, dude. All I had to do was just go on Gab. His previous tweets were already stored. Andrew Torba had already cataloged all of his previous tweets. So you just pick it up. And he, he still off. does it. 
Every, every <laughs> statement Trump posts, Torba or the Gab staff, it's not just Torba, but they go and they say a new statement from President Trump. And it's all on a account that is reserved for him. And that's another one where it goes to the people around him. And I try not to be too mean because I want President Trump to do the right thing. I don't want to just be mean to him. And I certainly don't want people to think I hate Trump. I don't hate even the bad people who he's associated himself with and surrounded himself with. I just want them to get better. And I want some of them to be fired. But uh, uh, the, what happened with that, this is according to uh, uh, Andrew Torba himself. You had, uh, uh, what's the guy's name? Scavino, Dan Scavino, Trump's social media monkey. And then you had uh, uh, Jared Kushner. Ivanka really should have married Tom Brady. And they <laughs> went... Would be, we'd all be better off as a country if Brady had been in there. But And, and they went to Torba, and they did the same with Parler, by the way. But they went to Torba, and they said, we want an ownership stake in the company. We want you to ban people who are, they believe to be anti-Semitic. Uh, Torba says they're people who criticize Israel and Israel's foreign policy and American involvement in Israel. And uh, if you do those two things, oh, and you have to heavily monetize the site. And if you do those two things, we'll bring on the president and he will join Gab. And Torba's like, are you kidding me? I, I, I mean, I know what it's like to be a small business owner. I, I've eat, slept, breathed this thing for years. I built this thing with my blood, sweat, and tears. How dare you? I want Trump on the platform, but I'm not giving it away. And then Trump didn't go on Gab because Kushner told him it would be a bad idea. Mm. They made the same uh, offer to Parler is what I've been told. And the Mercers, I mean, first of all, Parler's dead. It's very, I guess, sad. I'm not that broken up about it. But Parler, um, same exact story. But Parler said <laughs> it's owned by the Mercers, for those who don't know. And I can just imagine Rebecca Mercer throwing her head back and laughing. She's like, no, this is my new Cambridge Analytica. You, <laughs> you can't have it. This is my data farming operation trump get <laughs> oh. your own and now and now you have uh what's the guy's name jason miller yeah i i, I got i wonder how many kids that guy has sired over the past few years <laughs> you got jason miller out there now he's gonna start a new one and he, it'll be the new one and they were saying it was gonna start on july 4th but he's just now announcing that he's the ceo of a tech company last week so Ugh. so from 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 breaking brand new conservative social media website from the famous Jason Miller responsible for such hits as the desk of Donald Trump. I mean, it's just it's, it's terrible. Trump should fire everybody around him. Just have Don Jr. do it all. <laughs> yeah. Don Jr. is actually definitely one of the few good ones. I've been trying to gauge. I was discussing this with some coworkers the other day. Like, who is most popular in Trump world? Like, obviously you don't count Trump himself. He's obviously in SS plus plus tier. He's absolute number one. Everyone loves him. The people immediately under him, people love Don Jr., uh, Rudy Giuliani, I think General Mike Flynn, although I understand he made some fairly controversial comments recently, basically saying a military coup should happen in the United States, but certainly others, um, you know, Sidney Powell, I guess, same, same vein. The people who basically really tried to fight the hardest against election fraud. And yeah, that's definitely the thing is, are there anybody in Trump world that could be trusted to be really good advisors for President Trump? Or I guess a simpler question, if he does run in 2024, which I think he will, Jacob and I have discussed this a lot off the air on whether or not he will run. Uh, Jacob, you don't think Trump will run, right? I actually don't think he's going to run. That's just my current intuition. You believe that he'll basically play Kingmaker, right? Yes. Okay, yeah. So I personally do think he will run. And for the hypothetical, if nothing else, he knows he was robbed. We all know he was robbed. And this is his one last chance. He's not getting any younger. He, he's not going to, I don't think he'd be capable of running again in 2028. 2024 is his last chance. And he knows that, you know, kind of like Bernie in 2020, he'll give it one more shot. Um, I personally think whoever he picks as VP would say a lot 
for um whether or not he's made the proper changes in personnel or not. I actually wrote an article a while back for American Greatness before 2020 recommending that Trump should dump Mike Pence and thank him for his service and replace him with Mike Flynn and make because this had been right after the evidence Sidney Powell uncovered vindicated Flynn and then he got pardoned and the case was finally dropped and I said this man is like the ultimate number one victim of the deep state even more so than Roger Stone or Bannon or others this man is a symbol of how much they hate anybody who dares to support Trump he should have picked Mike Flynn as his VP and that would have been a great choice and Flynn would have cleaned house and you know he would have it would have been glorious now in 2024 i'm a little bit more skeptical towards flynn i personally think um <laughs> mo brooks although i'd like for him to stay in the senate as long as possible mo brooks would be a great vp pick lauren bobert from colorado i think would be fantastic she is also absolute fire she's great i wanted sarah palin in 16 man let's get her down from alaska people liked her I don't know why why we didn't go with her in 16. No, but I think you're right, though. It, the, the, I, first of all, I agree he's going to run. And I, all you got to do is look back at what happened with Obama at the whatever the White House press correspondent dinner all the way back when, when uh, he made the joke about President Trump. And you just see the look on Trump's face just change. And he's like, yeah, I'm taking this guy's job. That, that's all there is to that. I'm taking this guy's job. What a jerk. He invites me here. And then, no, I'm taking his job like, like next, next cycle. And he did. And so now President Trump, I mean, the guy's got a big ego, which is why we love him, I think. And so I think he's definitely going to run. And he's basically said it. I mean, in his statements he, to, with Zuckerberg, he's like, well, the next time I'm in the White House, things are going to be different. And, and then, of course, I mean, it, to me, it's very clear that he's going to run, and which is why I'm so interested in trying to make sure we don't get a repeat of uh, what happened last time when it comes to staffing. But as far as a vice president, I, I think you're right. I think that that, to Jacob's point, that's his kingmaker moment. And if it's Mike Pence again, which it's not going to be, Mike Pence is running for president himself. And of course, I think they hate each other now, but Pence can't say that aloud. Um, I think that that's his opportunity to be the kingmaker. He knows he can only go for one more term. That's just how it'll go. And so if it, I, I, I have mixed feelings about Mike Flynn. I know that uh, he was financially broken after the years-long uh, trial he went through, but um, some of his endorsements, some of his associations have been bizarre and shocking for somebody so intelligent. Um, Mo Brooks, I, I I don't think that you'll get. I don't. I I love Mo Brooks. I don't know if he would be perfect for it. I mean, frankly, the the traditional kind of media punditry is well, Ron DeSantis should be the VP. And normally, I would say no because you don't want somebody more or equally as vibrant as the top of the ticket to be on the bottom of the ticket. But it could be a phenomenal way to do it. I mean, Trump's going like I I love the guy. I hope he lives to be 130, but he's getting old. And so having a capable uh, vice president who is is nationally popular, who has experience in the executive, uh, that could be, and, and he also has experience on the Hill, that could be the best move in my opinion, and I know all of Florida right now is going, no, we need him! But uh, Don't take him but, away, uh, I, we, we need him. <laughs> yes, but I, I think that would be my prediction and hope, and obviously DeSantis, I think, could balance out Trump in some ways that Trump has not been so good on, like uh, pushing uh, for mass vaccination and pushing, pushing for masks and some of the other things that DeSantis did not do while President Trump did while in the White House. Correct. Well, more story that I did want to ask you on is the military. We have covered the military, what Biden is doing, his secretary of defense is doing. I actually reviewed Lieutenant Colonel Loheimer's book a couple of episodes ago. What is going on in West Point? Because I know y'all put out an article about, I believe there's a lawsuit going against West Point. 
Well, the parents are trying to figure out how they can sue, if they can sue. But basically what's happening right now is, first of all, everybody knows uh, that this, uh, the, the many, because everybody just says the COVID vaccine, there's like five of them, but... Of the COVID vaccines, none of them are 100% FDA approved. They're all approved for emergency use. Ergo, you cannot require them, and the military is my non-legal, non-lawyer understanding. So what they're doing instead at West Point, specifically the nation's top military academy for future officers, the future leaders of the military, what they're doing there is they're saying, hey, you should take the vaccine, be a team player, love America, take your shot, Johnny, little boy, and and the cadets, a lot of them say yes, but about a hundred of them said no, you moron, I'm not taking a vaccine if I don't have to, and and so what they do is then they pulled them all in separately. They said, look, you really should think about taking this vaccine. And the kids, a lot of them just left the, the West Point altogether. Forget it, not doing this with my life. Some of them said, okay, fine, I'll take it if you're gonna pressure me, these high pressure sales tactics. But a few of them still said, no, I'm not taking it. So what happened is the, uh, the semester ended, they go back home for one week before they had to be back two weeks later, sorry, two week vacation. But they were told, these kids, well, you're going to have to come back early because you have to go through a seven-day quarantine period. And they're like, what the hell? Why? Everybody's vaccinated but us. Why? Well, we're not going to get anybody sick. And, uh, and so they go, come to find out, quarantine means isolation, means solitary confinement. These kids have to stay in their dorm room for 23 hours a day. They may leave for one hour, but they're not allowed to go to the gym. They're not allowed to go to the doctor. They're not allowed to do anything except walk outside and then walk back into their dorm room. When they are served their food, they drop the tray on the table. The kid picks it up and he walks it back to his dorm room. No communication, no talking, no anything. Wear a mask wow. at all times. And, uh, oh, by the way, just some stuff that didn't even make it into the story. I guess here's the first time I'll talk about it. They didn't even, so they got a laundry machine, but they got no detergent. So they can't even wash their clothes properly during these seven days. All kinds of insanity. And here's the kicker. No COVID tests at all during those seven days. You would think you're tested when you start the quarantine, right? Nope. They get tested at the end of the quarantine. And we all know these tests are rife with false positives. And so then say the kid gets a false positive test after seven days. Nobody knows what happens. Is that another seven days of solitary confinement? Only go outside for one hour a day. And so really what this is, I mean, it's disgusting, but what it represents is a program started by Obama, arguably started by Bush, that is trying to turn our military into a social experiment and trying to use it for political aims. And it, Obama did it to great effect with the don't ask, with all of the LGBT stuff that happened in the military. Now we've got transgender troops. Remember, that was Mattis. Everybody thought Mattis was great. He said, the military has to have transgender troops. We will not be able to win a war without Bruce Jenner leading a squadron. Damn it. God help and, us. We have to have mentally now, ill people in Afghanistan with yes, guns. Yes, and, 
and now, of course, it's just accelerating with Biden. Biden is using well, – we all say Biden. We all know Biden doesn't make any of these decisions. The people who make the decisions are accelerating this now. They're using COVID as the excuse. All of these future promising cadets who are conservative, who love America, who want to fight to keep America safe, they're thinking, well, this is ridiculous. I'm just going to go get a job at Blackwater or whatever it's called now. I'm just going to go get a job at McDonald's. I'll go start a lawn mowing company rather than fighting for America. America because it's turned into an SJW training camp. And by the way, nobody can explain this to me. What happens when you're in a foxhole? Your 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 buddy, your your foxhole buddy is uh, <laughs> your battle buddy is transgender, and you're stuck in this foxhole for a protracted amount of time. What happens when they run out of testosterone? Do they have to airlift it in? It used to be like munitions and MREs. Do they just airlift in a bu- a bunch of testosterone? I mean, what what happens? Nobody can explain this to me because there is no explanation, and yet. That's exactly what's happening. I mean, just Ta- imagine that. Airlift for testosterone. Tactical hormones incoming! <laughs> oh, man. But- Th- this is fast. Oh, sorry. Go- I was going to make a... Oh, go ahead. Go for Jacob. it. Go for it. Oh, man. It is infuriating to me that these young men who are literally signing up to put the lives on the line for their country are being treated slightly better than the peaceful protesters from January 6th. That is just problem number one right there. They're being treated like garbage, like animals, basically herded away and caged away because they won't take the jab jab. But also, like you said, yeah, the, it's been said that the military is one of the last few center-right institutions in the United States. It's still a lot of red-blooded Americans, you know, from working-class backgrounds and whatnot who genuinely love the country and wanted to go kill terrorists and all that fun stuff, even though that war finally appears to be coming to an end, thankfully. And they know if they turn this into a social experiment, if they make this all about lesbianism and transgenderism and fly the gay pride flags and fly Black Lives Matter flags— then they will have completely conquered the United States with their ideology. And Lloyd Austin has been, he's been very effective at doing this. It's disgusting. He's a disgusting, horrible human being pushing this stuff. But you're seeing it in those recruiting videos with the cartoon of the young girl who had lesbian moms and literally says, I have two moms. I'm in control of your missile defense systems, by the way. (laughs) And just like, oh God, it's horrible. And of course they had to do an animated version of her doing the big, you know, uh, jungle gym, you know, obstacle course because probably because I'm I'm sure they could not get live footage of her actually <laughs> running that course. But it's terrifying. It is that is what they are trying to do, and they're indoctrinating a whole new wave of our military. And above all else, as has been said, it's it's kind of an easy point to make, but it's true. China and Russia and any other foreign powers that could actually be threats, Iran, are laughing their rear ends off watching this happen because their military you'll see the russians they ain't putting out videos of you know female soldiers with lesbian moms you know mm-hmm. they are putting out videos about like skydiving and all kinds of like we are gonna go crush our enemy's skulls and like it's it's awesome but yeah jacob well, the sorry sad part is oh, go ahead i'm oh, sorry jacob go ahead well i was just gonna uh, bring up the the solitary confinement that they're putting these soldiers in who are refusing the shot after they've been offered the carrot this is a new policy. Am I, am I understanding this correct? This was not what all yes. cadets had to go through previously? No. So last year, of course, when COVID was happening, and by the way, a bunch of cadets took their own lives. Very sad because of the uh, isolation, because of the mass, because of, I mean, very, very sad stuff. You know, West Point is not a place you go to have fun to begin with. And so then when you add these additional things to it, it gets insane. But no, last year, um, during the during the pandemic, uh, uh, cadets were allowed if they tested positive for COVID. So again, they tested positive before they are isolated like this. But they're allowed to go out. You just have to wear a mask. They 
They were allowed to call in food. They were allowed to, you know, Uber Eats or whatever you want to do. And they had basically full freedom. It was just wear a mask, get better. We know you're sick. And, and the, most of these kids, you got to imagine, these are West Point cadets. They're they're the most physically apt of the country. They probably felt fine, but, you know, whatever. I'll wear the mask and sit in the room because that's what they tell me to do. And, and so it was very casual. It was very laid back. And our sources said that the, the, the instigating factor that changed all this is when the CDC came out and said, no masks if you take the vaccine. And so then the, the powers that be at West Point went totally, I mean, they're, it's an authoritarian institution, but they went totally insane. And that's when they came up with this new uh, uh, isolation, this new solitary confinement policy, because they just desperately want people to take this vaccine. I mean, any, any vaccine that you have to uh, threaten somebody with solitary confinement over it's just yeah, these people not think of how this looks. Yeah, but <laughs> but it shows that West Point isn't implementing this, these measures to protect anybody. They're not trying to protect those right. who have already been vaccinated. They're not trying to protect any visitors. They're not trying to protect the students themselves. This is obviously a control measure. They can't get they can't force the they can't legally force them to take the vaccine. So they're going to make their lives miserable and essentially perform psychological torture well, on them to force them to take that goes, vaccine. It goes even bigger than that. They can't legally say, ah, you, you, you vote for Trump. I'm kicking you out of West Point. And so this is a way that, I mean, the overwhelming majority of students who refuse to take it have now just left West Point over the mm -hmm. last year. The majority of conservative, Trump-voting, patriotic students, the remainders are the ones who are going to go along with the program. And if they're going to go along with this program, you do have to wonder just what kind of program are they going to go along with under a Biden regime where who the hell knows who's actually in charge? What happens when they start uh, uh, perhaps going door to door to take the guns? What happens when they start uh, committing atrocities in foreign nations? Are they just to go along with the program because that's what they were taught. I mean, and that, and then they weeded out anybody who would be skeptical of that. That's really what it's all about. They found an ingenious way to get patriots out of the incoming officer class. That that's really what this is all about, more than anything else. And what's really sad, I mean, you guys were talking about how you watch the Russian videos, the Chinese videos, name a foreign nation. Probably Mexico has better recruitment videos than we do. Probably even Canada, those total losers up there. And and what's sad is we still have the best equipment. I mean, nobody can match our Navy. China's trying. Nobody can match our Air Force. China's trying. Nobody can match anything we've got. But eventually, it's not going to matter how cool the technology is because you don't have anybody with the balls to use it. Yeah, absolutely right. That's 100% correct. Metaphorically and physically don't have the balls to use it in some cases. Yes, <laughs> so. because they, they cut them off and now they need estrogen. It's just absolutely disgusting. And I, I sometimes have to ask myself if this is really happening in the world we're living in, and yet it really is. Uh, I want to ask you one more thing. We've hinted at it a couple of times. It's fun to make these jokes like that Biden is basically, this is weekend at Bernie's, you know, he's basically dead and they're just propping him along. And of course, he's not making the decisions. I think he is making a handful of decisions as we discussed in a previous episode. I think he did make that decision himself to extend the original Afghanistan withdrawal date that Trump had set for May, I don't remember the exact date, but it was sometime in May. It's already passed by now, of course. He, he extended it to September 11th. Obviously, A, to mess with what Trump did so he can claim it as, a, as his own, and the media is successfully selling that story that, oh, Biden is the one taking us out of this war, and B, you know, the idea of, oh, it's going to be a commemorative day that we withdraw on 9-11, because, of course, whatever. But other than that, yeah, he's not making decisions, 
the few decisions he's making, he's making out of his own ego because he has a very, he is a petty little man. He, Trump, like you said, has a big ego, but Trump isn't petty. Biden is very no, petty. No, he's not petty. Well, and Trump is petty, but not on in, like, he kept it in his personal life. And he, he makes go it after his, and, and when yes. he, when he's petty, he makes it funny. He roasts them on Twitter. You know, he roasts Barney Frank for wearing a tight t-shirt on Twitter. You know, it's like, it's, yeah. it's hysterical. But, so Biden is not really making the decisions. Who do you think, Tom, again, I really definitely want your opinion on this. Who is running the show there? Is it Kamala? Is it Susan Rice? Is it Ron Klain? Who is really the shadow puppet master of the administration? What's that woman Roseanne got canceled for for saying she looked like she came from Planet of the Apes? Valerie uh, Jarrett. Uh, Valerie Jarrett. I, I think she's got – that was a joke, by the way. I know the woman's <laughs> name. I just – that's the only way you can say that is you have to say the woman Roseanne got canceled for. Um, but uh, 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 Valerie Jarrett I think has a big uh, uh, finger in the pot. Uh, Barack Obama I think has a big finger in the pot. But really what I think this comes down to is it's executive office by committee. You have all of these different stakeholders who bought a piece of the Biden White House essentially. And so they all kind of push and pull and then you get a statement out. And this was not anywhere better exemplified than when Biden, you know, they made the mistake. It's always a mistake anytime you let the man speak, especially without a script. He described what's going on at the southern border as a crisis. And it's like, finally, the, the president, the so-called president, the guy who doesn't probably pick out his own tie in the morning, he says it's a crisis. Finally, he acknowledges what we all know is objective reality. And then 45 minutes later, the White House, what is the White House? The White House puts out a statement saying uh, uh, President Biden's statement does not reflect the White House policy regarding what? The oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I, I heard about that. <laughs> it's like, then what is it? Like, I'm sorry. I, he is the White House, but no, the White House is an autonomous being. It's like the haunting at Hill House type of thing, and the White House is actually in charge, not Joe Biden. And so I think it's executive by committee. You get all these different special interest groups, and they come out with a statement that Biden does his best to read on a teleprompter. That is really the most terrifying when it's not a specific name. You know, and I have talked about this with my coworkers as well, because you look back at previous White Houses and so-called strategic masterminds, you know, at some points, whether it was Carl Rove in the Bush Jr. administration, uh, David Axelrod under Obama, or to an extent, maybe early in the administration of Trump, uh, Steve Bannon, or maybe Stephen Miller and or Jared Kushner. But with Biden... Clinton in the in the in the Clinton administration. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> Monica Lewinsky. Um, but no. The, uh, the, but there is really nobody in the Biden administration you can really point the finger at. Again, you could say maybe Susan Rice or maybe Ron Klain, but the fact that we don't know, I think, is even scarier than if we did know. It's very strategic because if there was one person, then there would be somebody that the right could demonize. And so it, exactly. it's, I feel like it's very strategic, very smart on their part to make it government by committee rather than having one or two puppet masters. And the campaign was the same exact way. That was one of the reasons why it was so difficult for President Trump. Tr Trump, I, I doubt, he, maybe he has read Alinsky, but Trump knows the rules for radicals just, just intuitively. And that's what happened in 2016. You isolate the target. You freeze it. You mock it. You, de you demonize it. You, you make merciless fun of it. And then it folds like a wet blanket, like we all saw with uh, Jeb Bush and then Ted Cruz. He holds the Bible high, puts it down, and then he lies. And, and then later on, Crooked Hillary with the, you know, lock her up chants. And, and that's, uh, 
that was impossible to do with Biden because it's like I think everybody knew this guy's not in charge of his own campaign. He doesn't know what he's saying. I mean, take it back to the debate where Trump says, you know, oh, well, your son has issues with drugs. And Biden goes, leave Bo out of this. And Trump's like, who the hell is Bo? What are they talking about? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, the guy the guy has no idea what's going on. And thankfully, I mean, we are the outlet that put out uh, uh, the diary of Ashley Biden, wherein she describes uh, having horrible addiction horrible sex addiction. She says she had probably not appropriate showers with Joe Biden as a child. She said she thinks that she was molested as a little girl, but doesn't have particular memories of it. And I just... I just thank God every day that Joe Biden doesn't know we published that because if he did, he'd be furious. Man. <laughs> oh, man. I didn't even know that. I mean, oh, yeah, I, remember this. I, I didn't think it'd get worse than, uh, what was it, Hunter having an affair with uh, Bo's widow after he died? Like, like oh, my goodness. that, that And, and really... so as part of this diary, it was an addiction recovery diary, and she would put all the people in her life and then what she thinks of them or what they make her think of. And, and Hunter, it was a chart, Hunter drugs. <laughs> <laughs> What was it for Joe? Do you remember what? what? I, I think uh, it was something like loss slash power slash control. I oh. mean, as you said, Joe, when he had a brain, was a very and she, there's actually one passage uh, where she was talking about how she resents Biden. He had just uh, announced to the family, but not uh, uh, not overtly, that he was running for president, not to the public. That is, and uh, and and she was in the middle of her drug relapse she she relapses she's out of a relapse she's in the rehab she gets out she has another relapse it's very sad but it's very uh pathetic at the same time but and so joe actually called her and is like i'm preparing for a debate how dare you do this to me why do you make this happen why do you make my life so hard and uh and and i guess he cried on the phone to try and guilt trip her and so she felt very resentful to Joe because, of course, she depended on him for money. She's at like $30,000 a month rehab facilities. Mm. And uh, and at the same time, he tries to guilt trip her. You know, he doesn't actually care is the vibe that she has, the feelings that she has. He doesn't actually care about her mental health. He just wants her to get the hell out of the way so he can get his presidential campaign on the uh, on the right track. That, is, that that lines up pretty much with everything we thought we knew about this guy. I mean, everything about him is a lie. Even going back to the story of how he met Jill, because, you know, again, his first wife and uh, some of his children did die in a car crash uh, when they were all very young. I think it was his wife and his daughter, and then Bo and Hunter were very seriously injured in that crash. And so he always pitched it to the media as, oh, I met Jill on a blind date, and it was it, it was love that allowed me to rebuild my life. And then we find out, if, uh, the New York Post, I think, actually Jill had did an interview a couple months before. But we had the guy with the, uh, we had the actual uh, first husband of Jill uh, speak to Patrick Halley. I think we might have beat the post of that one. Oh, and, okay. uh and, and yeah, and, and he, <laughs> there was an affair. Jill was cheating on this guy with Joe. They would meet at the racetrack in clandestine, clandestine uh, uh, times and uh, get their affair on. And uh, I think the wife and kids had tragically died at that point. But yeah, no, Joe, Joe stole this guy's wife, uh, much like some say he stole the election. Oh, yeah. he All he does is steal, but, you know, as long as he orders his uh, scoops of ice cream and wears those stupid sunglasses, <laughs> then, you know, nobody, everyone will look what the other way. What flavor did you get? <laughs> chocolate, chocolate chip. <laughs> oh! What do you say to Republicans who oppose your Gestapo commission to hunt down all Trump supporters? Eat some ice cream. Chocolate chip. <laughs> oh, I, I just can't. I mean, they say sometimes you it's more fun to be, to be the opposition, but... 
knowing that this these people are in power and they're doing what they're doing is really is just genuinely terrifying. And I think it is important to raise awareness to A, what is being done, B, how extensively it is being done, and C, who is doing what is being done here. So uh, what would you recommend is a great way for people to maybe gain more awareness of the, these things that, again, you won't, you certainly won't hear in the mainstream media and won't hear on Fox News. Again, what's a way for them to learn about these things other than going to nationalfile.com? <laughs> well, that's the most important one now. But um, I think the ways to do it is to change or or curate the ways you get information. So I always make the pitch, get on Gab. It costs nothing. It's a fantastic uh, uh, system. It's a fantastic platform. If you don't like some of the people on there, block them. Very, very simple. That's what free speech means. But if you, and when you're on Gab, you will, you can find people who have been banned or, or shadow banned by the oligarchs. Even if you won't get on Gab for whatever reason, they have a way to get an app, guys. Just go to the, what you can figure it out. It's very, very simple. If I can do it, you can do it. But that aside, um, I, the, the thing to do, in my opinion, is to diversify the the outlets that you get. So if you read a lot of Breitbart, bring in a lot of something else. Don't care what it is. I read everything from BBC to the New York Post to Pravda, you know, whatever you want to call it, New York Times, Washington Post are all the same thing. I read every single thing I can. It's all about learning how to read the news and what is actually going on within the story that they don't want you to focus on. If you can teach yourself to do that, if you can teach yourself to figure out what the motivations really are behind some of these people, then you can, before you know it, become a very, very powerful and intellectual heavyweight. But that's what it comes down to. Diversify what you're reading and learn how to read it. Don't just take whatever the writer is putting on the page passively think critically in a good way not critical race theory not even critical theory just think critically every single word why did they use that word why did they end the paragraph that way why is this in paragraph nine instead of paragraph two and before you know it you will start to figure out what's really going on around you and uh it'll open your eyes and it's fun to do all right uh tom want to go ahead and uh let everybody know where they can find you and follow your work yours and national file and anything else you want to plug Absolutely, nationalfile.com. And of course, if we would really appreciate if you click the donate button, we've got big heavyweight lawyers trying to shut us down every second of every day. But I also would very much appreciate it. Give me a follow on Twitter at RealTomPappert. Just search Tom Pappert on Gab. That's where I am the most. And uh, sign up for the email newsletter for when everything gets taken down and when uh, and we got to go back to gigantic email blasts like it's 1995. But no, Twitter's the best. Actually, Gab is the best. Twitter's the second best. Nationalfile.com is where you can read my work. And thanks, guys, for having me on. It's a, it's been a, a legitimate blast. I hope to do it again soon. Wonderful. We would love to have you back on anytime, anytime you are. You are always welcome. The door here at The Right Take is wide open for Tom Pappert and anyone at The National File who wants to speak on behalf of your publication. This has been a lot of fun, and we hope you guys, our listeners, enjoyed this episode as well. Our first ever guest. More to come. Tom will come back in the future most likely, and we will have other special guests on in the very near future. Stay tuned for that. In the meantime, be sure to give him a follow on Twitter at RealTomPapper, on Gab, NationalFile.com, and donate and support these guys. Their email blasts are not scams begging for more money like the RNC. Don't, don't believe for a second. These guys are worth subscribing to in every way possible. And of course... 
be sure to give us a follow on all major social media platforms where we are available. You can go to our website, righttakepodcast.com slash subscribe. We are on Gab, Minds, Telegram, Facebook. We are on YouTube and the free speech friendly YouTube alternatives, BitChute and Rumble, as well as all major podcast platforms, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music slash Audible, Podbean, and many others that you guys can follow. So stay tuned and we'll talk to you next week, guys.